This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, <sighs> smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash... Hmm. You can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for a bigger job, try the superior strength of hefty large black bags. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, RPA is proud to present Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. This is Jason Witter, author, illustrator of Tiniest Vampire and Monsters Eating Ice Cream, and you are listening to Aaron's Horror Show. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show Season 2, where we talk about some movies and read some fiction. If you want to go ahead and get a hold of the show, you can always contact me at Aaron's Horror Show on Facebook or Aaron Horror Show on Twitter or Aaron's Horror Show at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Aaron from Aaron's Horror Show, and we have a very special guest on our show today. We have Vinny Vineyard, a.k.a. Funkmaster5. He's a longtime entertainer, bass slapper, pro wrestler, comedian, and etc. He also is in the paranormal TV show Wrestling with Ghosts. Currently, he's going to go ahead and launch something called ASY Paranormal. ASY Paranormal is an online TV service. That's about to launch May 10th, so you should check it out. It's going to be available online, Roku, the Fire Stick, and anywhere you could go ahead and find streaming services. It's only going to be $2.99 a month, so you should go ahead and get it. Uh, it's an independent paranormal television network that caters not only to people who love scary TV, but also a platform for people who want to make scary TV. Since paranormal television and reality television is dying, it's a good opportunity to save the genre. Hey, Vinny, thank you for coming on the show. Baby, thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, no, I'm glad you're here. Hey, man, I'm I'm always I will always show up when there's a when there's a free lunch, man. You know what I mean? Great, great. So let's go ahead and start off. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. So you know, you it looks like you have a good list of uh of of stuff and <laughs> we'll get, we'll get into it in a moment here but uh give me a give me a good snapshot what what's your origin story where you've been by radioactive spider or uh <laughs> you know gamma rays like 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 what makes Vinny Vineyard Vinny Vineyard well it uh you know it just started you know i was a <laughs> and i don't even know where to start with all that stuff i mean it's just uh you know there's uh, the pro wrestling backstory of me is that I'm from the year 2049 and I'm back to uh, ensure Funk's revival. I was a bass playing, bass slapping uh, guy who was, you know, was just 
I was a musician, played in a lot of different bands, and ended up playing in a hip hop and funk band for a lot of years. And got the moniker Funkmaster V, and uh, that's what I use in wrestling. And, uh, always been in entertainment, man. When I was a little kid, I always watched. Uh, you know, uh, David Letterman was huge for me, and I just was always enamored with uh, entertainment. I did stand up comedy. We moved down south. I was doing comedy in Tennessee, of all places, many many years ago, which. Back then, there wasn't a lot of comedy clubs or opportunities, and that kind of morphed into radio, and that morphed into me playing music, and I was successful in music, and then one day, I got bored with that, and started pro wrestling in my mid-30s, when I was like, you know, uh, I've always wanted to do wrestling, and wrestling actually was probably one of the avenues that, that probably uh, utilized most of my talents. I could use comedy. I was a state judo champion, so I was a pretty good wrestler anyway. And, uh, oh, wow. you know, and just, uh, you know, being able to communicate and, and uh, create a narrative and, and uh, entertain people and be, you know, and I've always kind of come off, uh, advertise, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know. People, people, when they first meet me, they, they're not too, hip to my jive if you catch my drift. So you know, being a bad guy yeah. wrestler, you can exist and make some money being a being a jerk and and uh and then that eventually um did that and you know mother you know time is undefeated. You know, I just uh father time I'm about to say father time, but father time just you know, after a while your legs start giving out and I've got cracked teeth and blown rotator cuff and bad knees and just you can't wrestle like you used to and so we started to slow it down. I had a uh, wrestling TV show that I produced and directed for Fox, and that got canceled. So I was looking for a project oh. and looking for whoa, any, whoa. Op- any opportunity. And so that's kind of what got me into the ghost hunting stuff. So is that what, so what, what was the what, out of curiosity? Since we're kind of on your origin stories, what was the wrestling TV show that you were in? You said you you had one that got canceled by Fox. It was called Great American Wrestling. It was part. Of, it was a regional thing. It wasn't uh, nationwide or anything, but it was a. It was a kind of a regional stuff. And I was, I had a show in there called The Mothership, which uh, I would have guests on. And when they bored me, I'd hit the gong. Uh, it was almost like the gong show. I don't know how old you are, but if you remember that, you, if a talent, you know, somebody'd come out there and sing or juggle or do something, and then when the people got bored, they hit the gong and they got eliminated. So I, I did that on the show, and that. So you, you were very, the gong, the gong hitter, basically. I was. <laughs> that, I, that would, I, I would decide, I would yeah. Yeah, I would interview the person, and when they annoyed me, I'd hit the gong, and that sometimes would lead to a fist fight or something, but uh, or me getting smacked by a chick or something like that. So, but anyway, yeah, I was, yeah. I'd, I'd I'd wrestle and and do all that kind of stuff. But also, I was trying to corral talent. I was directing. I was editing. Uh, I was trying to create stories. Uh, and, uh, so when, yeah, you know. So you said, so you said before wrestling, you, you were in music and that's what got you into wrestling. So you, you, you were in some bands. Uh, what, what bands were you in? I was in a band called Flipside Runner, uh, that nobody's ever heard of. But Flipside that's Runner okay. was, was I, a, I'm was in a band rock. that no one's ever heard of either. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I started off, I was in terrible Christian rock bands. I think that's a good way to start. Oh, because everybody's okay. nice to you, and they're like, oh, great job. And, you know, you play at a church, and you're god-awful, and everybody would be smiling at you. Uh, yeah, then, yeah. 
and then when, uh, of course, you know, the funniest thing is the Christian mosh pit where everybody's flying around and then somebody hits the deck and then everybody stops to help the person up. I always thought that was cute, but, uh, <laughs> different than a regular mosh pit. But, but, uh, and then, and then yeah, I got that. Although, I, yeah, I, I do have a mosh pit story myself. I, I, I was at a ZZ Top concert of all concerts and, and this mosh pit just like broke out around me and I just wasn't prepared for it and I got knocked down to the, to the floor and, and this like really giant drunken man like picked me up and like lifted me out of like being trampled, you know, <laughs> like, like, like sent me down and said, brother. <laughs> and it was at ZZ Top of all, you know, so, but yeah, I, I know, <laughs> I know how that is. <laughs> I, I just so. don't, I mean, I can't imagine a, a mosh pit at a ZZ Top. I can't imagine what song of theirs would inspire a mosh pit. But I guess people would uh, yeah. Well, you know, I'm I'm from New Mexico originally, so I think, like, down down in down in Albuquerque or down south there in, in the southwest, uh, I think people are, are, are ready to mosh to anything, you know? Like, like especially because... <laughs> You know, most concerts that are worth seeing are actually not happening in Albuquerque. Like, very few bands actually decide to stop in Albuquerque. You usually have to drive to Phoenix or to, uh, Denver to, to really see anything. Like, like most of my youth was, uh, <laughs> was spent going to those two cities to, to see a concert. I bet, whereas, uh, I you bet know, in Albuquerque, it's like, <laughs> I bet that's different yeah. now. I bet Albuquerque's a happening place. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm. I'm. It's funny because I'm actually in uh, Minnesota now, so I'm about as far away uh, <laughs> from Albuquerque as one can get. You know. <laughs> yeah, both places. But, uh, yeah. Good yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So you. So you did a lot of music. You got into pro wrestling, and so when you say pro wrestling, were you on like like I I. I'll admittedly say I don't know much about wrestling. So were you like WWE or was it like. Uh, regional circuits or or you know yeah, what, how would you describe it it'd be more regional so i was never on the wwe and, and i got it got involved way too late and i hate i hate drugs and so i would never juice which is the term for using steroids i would never bulk mm-hmm. up and i hate working out so i i mean i got into it i think i was 33 or 34 i was i was too late to get signed with him anyway and i never wanted to do that i just wanted to kind of I just wanted to have fun with it, and I wanted to be a regional hero. When I was playing music, we got signed and shelved, and we changed the name of the band from Flipside Runner to Pimpin' Ain't Easy, and we started playing hip-hop and funk tunes. When you're signed and shelved, you can't can't perform under your name. They own you. And we couldn't play our original music because they were waiting for a time for rock to make money, and, of course, I don't know how old you are, but around 2001, 2002, Napster just killed music. I mean, you just hardly could. A band cannot make a living or get rich uh, playing music anymore because nobody's buying albums. Nobody, nobody's buying CDs. That's why there's all these all these performers in their 70s are going out doing tours is because nobody's buying albums. They have to go out <laughs> and hustle to make money. They have to go out. And oh play. yeah. And yeah, no. used to that, that wasn't the case. You could just play a few times a year and sell seven million albums, and you're going to be rich. So anyway, um, so we started making money playing hip hop and funk tunes as three white guys, 
and uh, we were very in your face and almost a good guy. Bad. There was a good guy, bad guy element to the stage. The, the lead singer yeah. was a was a uh, he was cool. He was younger than me. He looked cooler than I did, and he you know he would sit there and he'd sing about drugs or sleeping with ten women or whatever, trapping whatever. Yeah, yeah. And then I'd I'd be the square that would be like that song sounds. We get done with Gin and Juice, uh, Gin and Juice or something. I'd be like that song sounds like it's glorifying drugs, and he'd say shut up, you know, or whatever, and the whole crowd would kind of dig on me. And that was something we <laughs> set up, and it was a you know it was kind of like pro wrestling before it was pro wrestling, and then no, oh, yeah, a lot of a, a lot of theatrics, and you know. Yep. Yeah, and a lot of storytelling. Yeah. So we weren't up just we weren't just touring around playing Brown Eyed Girl. We, you know, the the band I was in was just phenomenal, and uh, we would never even rehearse. They were just like, we're going to play this song, and we would just learn it on the fly in front of a crowd. And um, oh wow! And I was definitely the worst musician in that band. Uh, the drummer and the lead singer slash guitar player were just phenomenal, and. Um, but that that you know I'm a New York Jets fan. Unfortunately, I don't know if you know anything about sports, but they're terrible all the time, and uh, I get a little depressed about that. So, I, but Joe Namath said one time when he was talking about his retirement, he said, "When you are you catch yourself yawning on the football field, that's time to retire." And uh, I was in a show, Cookville, Tennessee, in front of about 1,200 people. And I was in Nashville, Tennessee, in front of about 800 people on a weekend. And I just was yawning the whole time. And I was like, there's other people that want this spot. And it was good money, but I got tired of the jokes and got tired of the life. And you know what? It, I was a square, man. I didn't I didn't want to cheat on my wife. I had a plenty of opportunity when you had a band that's popular and alcohol is involved. And I didn't drink. So it all became about making money. So it was a lot of hard work. I can't even imagine doing it now. And so I wanted oh, yeah. a, a creative out and, um, you know, a lot of travel, a lot of time away from your kids and stuff like that. So uh, wrestling, you know, is less times a month, and, and it was something I could slide into, and I had a natural proclivity to it, and I was pretty good at it. And uh, and when the show, I did that for several years. I'm still doing that. I got a match Friday night. Uh, I'm actually going to go oh, somewhere right. tonight. I'm going to go somewhere tonight and film like a little mini movie, like a vignette for uh, the match Friday night. I got to go film that after I get done with you. And uh, and thank you for the opportunity, by the way. I appreciate that. Oh, and, you're uh, welcome. Yeah, I know. Glad to have you here. And so I'm still wrestling occasionally. I'll go to Georgia or Chicago or something like that. West Virginia, Tennessee, or North Carolina. We'll wrestle somewhere. So, uh, but anyway. Uh, no, that sounds awesome. Like, like, yeah, that's really, that's really interesting. You know, like, I, I think, I think it's fascinating. You made so many jumps to kind of different forms of entertainment. You know, I think, I think that's that really shows that that you could kind of, you know, have different dynamic uh, stuff going on. You know, but I, I understand that transition. You know, going from music to wrestling, I'm, I'm sure it's a lot easier with with the schedule. You know, than than what you have to do as a musician, you know? <laughs> well, yeah. And there's a there's a different element, you know. I mean, it, playing music's got to be pretty precision. And uh, being a wrestler is, I guess there's that in that too. But there's, it's all about entertaining. It's about creating moments. 
mm-hmm. and that's what um with this ghost tv network is is kind of what we're trying to do is we're trying to create stories we're trying to create moments and really that's what i've always done when i was doing comedy when i was doing radio when i was wrestling or the music or whatever just constantly trying to create stories and so i slid into the paranormal stuff um i had some previous experience with spirits and things like that um years ago um when i was a drug and alcohol counselor there was some weird stuff happening at a facility but this person came and they were like hey man we're doing a tv show and we got a contract and um it's a ghost show. And I was like, I'm down. You know, they actually went and talked to my tag team partner. My tag team partner is a guy named Big Luke. He's a giant. He's seven feet tall. Um, and I'm right under six. So everybody always, it's funny when we do conventions or we do whatever, people always, little girls come up and they think that I'm tiny. Like they think I'm, they're yeah. going to be like, oh, you're, and I'm like six feet tall. And they're like, they look up at me like, God, you're, you're not short. I was like, no, I'm not. Every picture I take, I'm standing next to a guy that like, looks like Chewbacca standing next to him. So, well, yeah, it's, it's funny because uh, I was talking to my wife about that earlier tonight, that just the way that you don't get a perception of how somebody looks, like like Tom Cruise, for example. he He's really short in real life, and like every person they put him with, they had to put him on a stool just so he looks, you know. And Stallone's uh, another one. Stone is a guy who's tiny. And yeah, make yeah. Him look like a heavyweight boxer. They got to rig everything to make him look. Oh small. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. So. Anyway. But anyway. Uh, so, so I so this they came and they're like, hey, we're doing a ghost show. We got a concert. Oh, TV. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll do that. I'm an entertainer. And so yeah. Big Luke and me were like, you know, we'll do this paranormal thing but we really didn't think anything would happen i've seen ghost hunters a million times and about the best thing they've got is a a little flashlight flickering or whatever and and so we came up with wrestling with ghosts and the story of the thing was this ghost hunter named uh, justin uh had a um an experience on a mountaintop in tennessee at a place called the rabbit man's house uh, which is a documented case where a guy, some kids were messing with this guy's rabbits and he went on a rampage and killed a bunch of kids. And so he, uh, with another group, went up there and got demonically possessed, or that's what they say, because he uses that word demon a lot. I don't really think that's necessarily the case, but something happened. They all started fist fighting each other, trying to film a TV show up there. And he's a twerp. This guy, Justin's a twerp. Yeah. He's getting his butt kicked and he called his mom and he's like, I'll never see you again. I'm going to die up here at the Rabbit Man house. And so when we came to us, we came up with the idea. Well, there's me, Big Luke, and Travis Graves, three wrestlers. We'll make a show called Wrestling with Ghosts and we'll be your, your bodyguard. And so the first season was about training. He was allegedly supposed to train us. And then in the last episode, we'll go back to the Rabbit Man house to see if we can handle it after a year of training. Well, when we first started shooting, the chemistry of the four of us was pretty remarkable when it comes to paranormal stuff because we just kept getting, we kept getting insane paranormal evidence. And me and Luke kept thinking, well, we'll have to come up with comedy spots and we'll have to fill 45 minutes with, you know, jokes and, gags and wrestling clips that it it really came to the point where a lot of our episodes
episodes were so chock full of crazy stuff that it was like this this is crazy and over the first year um in Puerto Rico we call ourselves Boricua we are proud passionate and full of life on our island adventure finds you strangers aren't strangers for long the size of the audience doesn't change the beauty of the music and we celebrate every last ray of sun live Boricua. millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You can see that our television uh, making skills got better in that format, but also our storytelling, but also we started becoming believers. And by the end of the first year, we fired the guy, Justin, who was a twerp, because we found out there was no such thing as a television contract. So he was a pathological liar. Yeah. And and so, and he was kind of a, he just constantly lied about things all the time. And uh, so we got rid of him. He tried to fake evidence, actually, and that's, and the oh, one thing man. <laughs> And that's the one thing we came up with is like if you fake evidence, if you fake one thing, if you if we got busted faking one thing, nobody would watch any of the shows. We catch three thousand paranormal events, and if you, somebody got caught throwing something to make it look like a rock was flying, or somebody, you know, he there was a <laughs> a stupid legend about a, a graveyard uh, scenario where he he got busted trying to fake evidence and so we got rid, rid of him and uh, the show's been better ever since because he wasn't very good on camera but he did get us all together so I will give him credit for that which is more than the other guys will but the um, so we had all these shows with nowhere to go and we found a home with this thing called a side TV and the thing that I asked to be on your show tonight is on May 10th we're launching this thing called a side paranormal and if you type it into the URL it's ASY paranormal. Um, yeah. So a side paranormal has about 15 original shows we're going to launch with. They have a bunch of classic uh, like B movies and monster movies. They got an old show called uh, One Step Beyond, which was the precursor to the Twilight Zone, which is an old, you know, just really creepy. And the, man, some of the plot lines in, in, on those episodes are nuts. They're even crazier than the. Uh, in the Twilight Zone, so oh, interesting. Uh, we, so, yeah, and like so, got so is it? Is it? Yeah, so so is it fiction that you that you have on there, or is it? It's a mix of of reality TV and fiction, or yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a uh, there are there are there are fiction uh, shows on there. Um, a lot of it is reality because what's happened, Aaron, when we got our show. And we fired the guy. We had all these episodes. And then all of a sudden, I don't know how, just by hype and YouTube and things like that, we started getting a lot of attention from producers. It's a Canada, Hollywood, you know, all points in between. Um, other people in Hollywood. A lot of, a lot of people in Hollywood. Yeah. So anyway, 
And they would look at the show, and and we actually won Destination America's Parasearch competition. We were out of uh, 280 teams, we're the ones that that won this competition to make a new TV show. And at the last minute, they pulled the plug. uh, And we've signed several talent holding agreements and stuff like that. And what we found, and I also am an actor too, and I've done stuff in reality TV shows and most people know, I don't think I'm blowing the gimmick for anybody, but most reality shows, whether it's paranormal or not, are just completely scripted. And, and if you don't believe oh, it, yeah. watch the end of Lizard Lick Towing, and for something that's supposed to be a bunch of rednecks running around repoing cars, they have riders. They have riders all naked and afraid, or it's supposed to be two people naked in the, in the middle of nowhere, you know, so it's like... How are the writers on these reality shows? You know, it's like this is. Oh yeah, no, I mean, reality shows. I mean, a lot of times the producers will will even if they're using what people actually said, the producers will ask them leading questions to kind of yep. guide them to the answer they want. You know. That's right, and they always try to. You'll hear a lot of people going, "Boy, I was portrayed like crap on this show. I was really a decent person, and they kept." goading me and stuff and so you know then they edit it to where it makes the person look like a, a jerk or whatever and so <clears throat> this network is what we're trying to go for is something that it's real because we kept getting passed over for television because they were like you guys are too funny you guys need to fake evidence and you need to um you, um, you guys don't look like you would be scared of ghosts. We need people that were going to overreact and scream and drop the camera and run out of the room type thing. You guys are wrestlers and, you know, you guys are portraying yourself as tough guys or whatever. Nobody's going to believe that you're freaking out. And so I'm like, well, we, you know, we come from, you know, even though we're not like, we've not been in the industry of paranormal fields for years, I just, there's no reason to be afraid of... When's the last time you heard somebody being murdered by a ghost? It just doesn't happen. Crazy oh, yeah, man. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's somebody may get scratched. A lot of times, that's probably that they scratch themselves, or about 10 minutes later, they go, oh, look, somebody touched me, and everybody freaks out. But, you know, it. you can't, uh, you know, what's the worst going to happen, man? And so, so there's varying opinions on that. There are people who think there are terrible things that happen, but I'm not scared of that stuff. Yeah, but, yeah. So, 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 so what? Uh, what? Uh, you said you did have some actual paranormal experiences that kind of got you into this. What? What were they? Are you talking about before the TV show or during the film? Yeah, the b- before the TV show. <laughs> well, this is. Uh, if, if anybody orders a sign paranormal, my whole. Spiel was on a show called It Happened to Me, which one of the shows on there are people just telling ghost stories, and um, which is pretty cool. It's like, and most of them are first-hand experiences. And one of the episodes, uh, I'm on one, and uh, I'm telling the story. This is uh, this is pretty wild, um, and this this is not a short story either. It is, so if you need to take a break or so, I'm just telling you to shut up. But uh, I, I was a drug and alcohol yeah. counselor for, for uh, adolescents, uh, and I had, or we have a, um, the treatment facility was in the middle of nowhere in Tennessee. It's in a town called Louisville. 
obviously. And um, one night, and I worked third shift, so the, there's this giant full moon looking over Tennessee, beautiful. I don't know if you've ever been to Tennessee. It's like a Hawaiian vacation. It's beautiful here. And so... No, I, I haven't, but... Yeah, it's, it's a nice place. So, uh, driving along, and I'm listening to Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie, and I start thinking, I'm like, and it's just a weird coincidence, I'm like, I wonder why there's never been any with all the bad energy and bad stories and all the evil that these kids come into this facility with, because these kids would live in this facility, and yeah. some of them were in gangs, and some of you know, they were... Some of the girls were raped, and you know, and some of the boys were raped. It's just awful stuff, and worse stuff than that. Yeah. Full of abuse and drug abuse, and all that stuff. Oh yeah, I, was no, like, I, I imagine. Yeah, it was it was it was a trip. And so I was like, I wonder why this never anything crazy happened. So that night, uh, I had the first shift in a hall, and this building is shaped like a shotgun place. You can stand at one door and see the entire scope of the building. Uh, it's big, but it's a long hallway. In the middle, it's kind of like offices, the nurse station, community room, and the gym is on the other side. And then you've got dorms on one side and offices and a school on the other side. So anyway, it's a shotgun thing. And what's stupid is we had up to four girls that were there, and they would sleep in two suites, and then we would have uh, 18 boys. You couldn't lock the doors because you didn't know if somebody was, you know, gang initiations or hurting themselves, cell phone or whatever, drug use. So the doors were always open. So the night counselor, instead of actually trying to engage in anything therapeutic, you basically were a goalie trying to kick boys out of the girls' rooms who were trying to you know, yeah, catch some yeah. trim on the side at night, you know, waiting for somebody to fall asleep or whatever. So that's basically what my job was. It was basically like Pong. Uh, so for two hours, I would sit down there, and I would swap out with somebody else for two hours. And somebody else, we, there was only three counselors that would work at night at this place. So anyway, I'm sitting down there. I take the first shift. Giant moth all over me the entire shift. I couldn't kill it. It was huge. It was like a bat. I was like, what is going on? This thing's crazy. Because we had a lamp down there. It was flying around. And I'm not a big nut when it comes to a lot of this paranormal jive talk and stuff when people are talking about this means that or this bug means this. I don't know. That stuff sounds crazy to me, but it may be true. But I've yeah. heard moths have a specific spiritual um, connotation. So in retrospect, that was odd that that happened that night because it never happened again. So I'm walking yeah. down, I walk, I'm walking down, and I'm just checking the room, make sure nobody's beating somebody up, making sure nobody's having sex with somebody else, and nobody's using drugs. Everybody's safe and sweet. So I'm walking down, this kid, as I walk past one of the dorms, like I said, the doors are open, I can see in there, this kid's in bed, and he shoots straight up, and he looks at me, but you really can't see his like his iris or his pupils or nothing. It's kind of looked like his eyes were rolled back. And he tells me out loud, buy me a PA today, JR. And I take two more steps and I stop and I look at the kid and he collapses back in the bed and I'm like, buy me a PA today. Well, if you remember when you first introduced me, uh, Funkmaster V was part of the band Flipside Runner and the, uh, that day, 
my guitar player, who I was talking about, J.R. Horn, yeah. bought a PA system for the band out of his own pocket. So we start playing games. Oh, is, weird. This is, wow. It, it was in the beginning of all of the music stuff. So this was back around 2002-ish, I think, or 2003, something like that. And I thought that was wild. And I was like, I couldn't have heard that properly. That That's weird. So my two-hour shift ended. Oh, and there was, uh, at that night, I heard Roman's voice in one of the girls' rooms. I heard somebody like, something like that. And I'd run in there looking around, trying to make sure nobody was, you know, getting uh, getting down with one of the underage girls. So I, I there was nobody there. And I heard that voice a couple times. Well, that was a pretty mind-numbing uh, experience so I went back to my office to take a break and when I'm walking into the office I open the door my office is in shambles I don't know who was in there but somebody ransacked it as I opened the door I heard behind me this little voice that goes and it sounded like this girl I work with named April and yeah I, I look around there's nobody behind me you know, we're talking two ten in the morning, middle of nowhere in Tennessee. Three adults are awake. There's 24 kids asleep. Um, or 22, something like that. And so uh, I was sitting there thinking, okay, who who was that? You know, what was, and I, I I called up to the middle. Like I told you before, this place is like a shotgun. So you could see, even though I was in the other end of the place, you could see where I was, where the moth was, where the boy was. You could see that hallway. And in the middle was this counselor doing paperwork. Her name was Jamie. I go, hey, Jamie, where's where's April? Because I thought April was running around and she's like in the library or something playing games with me or whatnot. She says, April's in the kitchen. The kitchen's on the far side, further away than Jamie is. And so I was like, what the heck? So I walk up to Jamie, and I'm like, you won't believe this, but when I open my door, and I, you know, I also did the thing, too, where I tried to open the door several times to see if, like, a trash bag was making a weird noise or something like that. Paper yeah, yeah, you do some investigation to see if there's something, another exactly. reason, you know? <laughs> exactly. Well, cops are here. I'm done. I'll talk to you later. I'm just kidding. So anyway, <laughs> um, they caught me. I know. Um, <laughs> Quick so hide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll do the, I'll do the, I'll do the, I'll do the, I'll do the podcast. I know. <laughs> so, anyway, so I asked Jamie, I said, uh, you won't believe this, but I just, uh, and it was short. It was like, that, you know, like I said, I'm about, I'm a little under six feet tall, and this thing was kind of halfway down my back. I said, there was a little, like a little voice. I went, hey, hey, real cute, behind my back as I was opening the door. And the blood drained from her face. And she said, earlier tonight, I was standing up here where I am right now, and I heard uh, this thing, or I heard two short breaths behind me. And that's what freaked me out, man. And I'll tell you, Aaron, the thing didn't say, hey, hey. I just said it said, hey, hey, because it's easier. It actually went, <sighs> and she validated my story because it wasn't like she was like oh yeah I said hey right she actually introduced new information that was congruent with what I experienced and so 
I was like, holy damn, there's a freaking hobgoblin or something running around. So, oh, my God. <laughs> All right, that was Vinny Vineyard on our show today. Hey, Vinny, if you're listening, thank you so much for coming on. That was only part one of the interview, so there's actually a whole other part where he gets into some interesting stuff, like such as... Uh, what what evidence he's found of the paranormal on his show so it's kind of cool it's kind of kind of neat stuff that's coming up in this second interview so yeah tune in uh, next week for the second interview with uh vinny and uh thank you all so much for listening to aaron's horror show and uh i'll see you next week <laughs> <laughs>